He always seems to get involved, doesn't he? I'm telling you, too many coconuts have hit him right on top of the skull. Well, I think uh, Anthony will be a great acquisition. He can do it all. Avery, whose show is this? And we're live. Welcome, everybody, to the Associate Roll Podcast Network, Twitter Spaces Edition. I'm Anthony Irwin. I am going to be joined here in a moment by, I'm sure, a whole bunch of you guys who have thoughts on everything that we're going to be talking about today. Uh, I'm going to be joined by some of my colleagues at Silver Screen and Roll as well. Uh, so we will have a back and forth there. As always, I'm going to start the show by answering some questions from iTunes. If you want a topic guaranteed to be covered on here, go on to iTunes, find the Silver Screen and Roll podcast feed, and leave a five-star review with your question, and I will answer those. All right, let's start here with um, a – all right, the Wall Dang is asking about him, his own uh, contract here apparently. Often when I listen to the conversations regarding Lakers' future assets, I, only, I honestly don't hear anyone talk about the $5 million that is going to be freed up this summer. Are you able to paint a picture of the flexibility the Lakers will have with that money? Or maybe even, let's say, with the predicament the Lakers find themselves in this season, uh, what would have that extra $5 million done this season if Luol never happens? Um, generally speaking, nothing really changes here. Uh, I guess the tax money looks a little different, uh, which, you know, we, we know the Lakers value, but uh, in terms of actual cap flexibility, the Lakers are, are so close uh, to, <laughs> they, they are so capped out between their three max players, uh, Russ, LeBron, and AD, that the $5 million here wouldn't have really done much for, for the Lakers. Uh, it, it, next season, Basically the same situation. Russ, everybody's contract goes up uh, of that big three. Uh, Kendrick Nunn is probably going to, if he's still on the roster, he's probably going to accept his player option. And and then THT's number goes up a little bit. Uh, so the $5 million bucks won't really do much for you then either. Uh, the Lakers will have Stanley Johnson under contract because of the way that they signed him this year. Um, and then after that, the numbers... You know, after that, you're talking about veteran minimum guys again, and and we just have to hope that the Lakers have a few more veteran minimum guys uh, who can continue to play basketball at an NBA level than they have had so far this season. Um, I'm going to add my good buddy Aaron to this thing, so add him as a as a speaker. Aaron, let me know when you're uh, when you're ready to go. Can you hear me? I got you, brother. There he is. Did so? Did you hear the question? The question. I'll just repeat it or paraphrase it really quickly. Uh, what if the Lakers didn't have the five million dollars uh, that is dead money that is being paid to Lawal Dang on their on their bill this year? Would that have uh, aided with flexibility? And then will not having it on their bill next year aid in their flexibility? And my essential answer was was no. Do you have anything beyond that to to add? That's correct. <laughs> Uh-huh. <laughs> no, 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 it would not have changed anything this year and no, it will not change anything next year other than other than um, how closely or not how closely um, possibly which 
tax bracket um, the Lakers are in um, and, and what the tax bill looks like. Um, and if avoidance of the tax maybe changes anything, but as far as salary cap, cap flexibility and um, Eric Pinkett likes to use the term spending power, as far as the spending power that the Lakers will have, it had no impact this year and will have no impact next year. Yeah, I, the, you know, just from just from I know what the Lakers, you know, and, and you have spoken about this and then it's been reported, but the Lakers are trying to have as little dead money on their on their bill as possible. And like, that's what every business wants. You don't want any amounts of money that is just going to nowhere. Think of like interest on credit card payments, right? Or, or, or all of those things like the, the idea of, of just having money that you're just lighting on fire. Uh, that is not something that the Lakers want to have at all. It was kind of, that was the idea behind not bringing back somebody like Jared Dudley, right? Was uh, reportedly that the Lakers wanted more players who could actually get onto the court and uh, that they didn't think that Jared Dudley was going to be able to do that this year. So they went in the direction that they went with some of their other veteran minimum guys. It just turns out that some of those guys also have not been able to, <laughs> to get and stay onto the court. Um, all right, we'll go to the next question here. Uh, this is from a whole bunch of letters. Uh, hey, Anthony, longtime listener from El Paso. Viva Chooks, let's go. Uh, I can't help but notice every game that Russ doesn't get nearly enough respect at the rim from the refs. I feel like him complaining for a call is warranted most times, and it seems like it would be pretty frustrating. Now, I'm not the highest on Russ, but even I get frustrated uh, when he gets fouled and he doesn't get the call. Uh, Aaron, have you noticed that? Have you noticed just a kind of a lack of respect for, for Russ at the rim? No. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, no, I haven't. Um I would say, like, he has a lack of respect for the rim with how often he hits it when he gets there. But other than that. Easy, easy. <laughs> uh, no, and you know what? I think um, that's one of those things that's kind of um, confirmation bias, um, right? Like, you will hear that a lot with LeBron, who I actually think does not get a great whistle at the rim. You hear it a lot with Steph. Um, you hear it are now hearing it with, with Russ. I think it is confirmation bias that guys that, um, are finishing at a certain level and then, uh, maybe that diminishes through just random chance. Maybe it diminishes through physical diminishment. Maybe it's getting older. Maybe it's skill decline. Um, whatever. I think that it is kind of confirmation bias. And what you're looking at is reasons that Russ is not finishing as well as, as he has previously in the restricted area. Or even if guys are, are in a, at a similar state, right? It's part of fandom that you are looking for um, ways in which your guy or your team is getting slighted some. I have not actually noticed Russ getting a unfavorable whistle at the rim compared to other teams, compared to other players, compared to LeBron. Um, I think it's it's looking for something that may not necessarily be there in this case. Yeah, I think when and, – and Russ has picked it up in terms of his ability at the rim yeah, lately. Yeah, recently he's been quite – yes. Yeah, and, and basically what it all kind of boils down to is if he doesn't have a true center on the court next to him, he has more room to be able to get to the rim and it's less cluttered when he gets there and he doesn't have to worry about finishing through clutter, which I think he has really struggled with this season – 
Um, so I think that's really helped. But general, generally speaking, when somebody is missing more often than you anticipate at the rim, when it's such a close shot, you look for any excuse or at least explanation as to like why that's going on. And oftentimes the easiest one is, oh, he's just getting fouled. He's just getting fouled and it's not being called. Um, and, and I just don't think that's the case here with, with Russ. I, I've always thought, like we saw this, I think Shaq is like the nth degree example of this. Is, Agreed. It is like uh, referees allow contact on guys who can finish through contact. And, you know, right now, I think uh, LeBron gets that a lot. Giannis gets I agree. that to a certain extent. And um, and B gets it, but it's so funny also though because he also gets a bunch of ticky tack calls away from the basket. It's kind of weird. Well, um, but it's, I think I think the at the basket part is a lot because it is hard, and it's again human nature. And referees are human. It is hard to officiate the most physically dominant, strongest, biggest guys because uh, less physically dominant players contacting them you don't know how much of it like the the definition of foul is like physical contact that creates a disadvantage for the offensive play well creates a disadvantage and so because lebron is such a freight train and Shaq is the is the best example um it's hard to gauge how much smaller and weaker players are actually impacting the bigger and stronger guy it is a really difficult challenge and russ is a physical marvel less so than he has been previously so maybe there's something to that, but it, it is like human nature. It's just kind of hard to figure out how much a small guy is impacting a big guy. I've just always felt like refereeing Shaq or Embiid or LeBron or Giannis is like trying to call holding in football where like it happens every play. A foul happens every time those guys have the ball. It's just about, like, how much did that impact the play? Like, one of the most frustrating things in watching football sometimes is you'll see a, a hold ha- get called on the other side of the ball when the, 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 the run goes to one side and you see a hold call on the other. And you're like, that doesn't – I mean, you could call that any time. And, and, and you know, it, it, didn't affect, it didn't affect the play in any way, or at least to on my untrained eye it didn't. And, and sometimes you watch Shaq and it's like, okay – you could have technically called that slap, but he clearly was able to finish through it anyway. But would you have called that slap if it happened to like back in the day when, when Shaq was, you know, prime Shaq with the Lakers, I always thought Damon Stoudemire, like if you looked at Damon for just like a slightly longer period than you should have, he was going to arrive at the free throw line. And it's because he was like five, five and Shaq was seven, two it probably literally double the size of Damon Sotomayor Shaq was. And so like he, he goes, he was officiated as such and he played a much more physical Brown to brand of basketball. And yeah, that becomes really difficult to referee, but I, with Russ, I don't think, I don't think that we're there. I don't think we've been there this season. I just think, you know, I I think the bigger factor here with Russ and it's something that he, uh, I, I think has even spoken about sometimes is like, he's not, He's not the athlete he was four or five years ago where he would elevate and his armpit would be at the rim. And it's a much, it's a very different type of game that you're playing when you can no longer get up like that. And we can look for other explanations as to where the finishing went for stretches of the season. But I think that the biggest one is just, yeah, he's, 
He's not he's not the the monstar that he used to be. And and that that takes an adjustment period. Football um, is gonna... stu- football is stupid and I don't want to talk about it anymore. And if you would <laughs> if you would go ahead and not use any more football analogies for the rest of the spaces, I would appreciate it. Um but yes, I think you're right. Why why is that? Like, football is, is stupid. There a football game this weekend? Football is stupid. I don't like football. I don't even think it really exists. And it's basketball season. We don't need to talk about it anymore. <laughs> um, but yes, I, I think I think for guys that uh, are so not not necessarily so reliant, but their their elite play is based on athleticism as opposed to skill. Like Russ is still a very 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 good athlete, even by NBA standards. But when you go from the 100th percentile as an athlete in the NBA to the whatever 90th percentile or 85th percentile or 80th percentile, still a very, very good athlete by NBA standards that requires an adjustment and finishing at the rim is one of the biggest markers of, of even like slight diminishment in athleticism. And for somebody that is, cannot rely on some of the skill portions of the game, like jump shooting, um, I, you, you, that's, I, I think that is more the explanation than he is getting an unfair whistle at the rim. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, you know, we'll see, we'll see if, if some of the trends continue as, as maybe as he starts finishing better, he gets a few more calls. I, I don't know why that would impact it or whatever, but, but uh, yeah, I think the biggest factor here in, in terms of his finishing is the Lakers moving away from DeAndre Jordan and Dwight Howard in some of those lineups and just giving him the room to be able to, to get on that runway, like that dunk that he had against Gobert, he had three, four steps to get on the runway and get up in the air before Gobert could. And you saw like that looked like vintage Russ. And and I think when the lane has been cluttered and you're asking somebody to just explode upward on, you know, one, one and a half steps or so to fully gather himself, that that's just a difficult ask for anybody, especially somebody with somewhat diminished athleticism. Um, all right, I, I'm going to welcome in uh, our boy Edwin at Lakers Takes on here uh, to speak as well. Edwin, thanks for hopping on with us again. Uh, what are your thoughts on on Russ the finisher, the refereeing? Um, yeah, I don't know if you have any hot Luol Deng takes, <laughs> but but where where are you at in terms of what we've seen from Russ lately? Edwin, can you hear me? Oh, yeah. Sorry. I thought you were talking to uh, Mr. Larso there. I wanted to mention uh, <laughs> the football game, but out of respect for, for Mr. Larso, uh, we'll, we'll uh, avoid any talk with uh, the, the fake rugby match. But um, Go ahead, man. Go ahead. Get, get one in. Go ahead. Okay. All right, I'll get one in. Uh, weekly reminder, Jimmy G ain't it. All right. That's it. <laughs> yeah, you're, not, you're not wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. I have an honest question about this, though. So, Let's say that the Niners win a Super Bowl with Jimmy G. Like, what happens next, Aaron? Like, what? That, that's the thing that was, like, mind-boggling. Everybody knows this guy was about to get traded. Everybody knew it. <laughs> and, like, the, the, the Vikings had that same thing with their quarterback who threw the digs there. It was like, well, they have Teddy Bridgewater behind him, and, and I guess at some point you got to see what's happening with Stafford. They wind up ditching all three of Stafford. Bridgewater and the, the guy I'm, I'm forgetting, uh, you know, unnamed white guy X in the NFL. But like um, the the like if they win that game and they win a Super Bowl with Jimmy G, do they just trade a Super Bowl quarterback? I, let's hope. 
Yeah, maybe that increases his value. <laughs> you just like every he's not every he is not every time good. Like, you start those trade conversations, it's going to be Super Bowl champion yeah. Jimmy G yeah. is on the yeah. mic. <laughs> just like yeah. they did with uh, the Ravens quarterback. Is Jimmy G elite? We can have that conversation. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> How has this turned into a bashing Aaron's 49ers spaces? Can we go – somehow Somehow the Lakers talk is less depressing for me. Can we get back to that? Well, not by much, but I guess the next topic we got to talk about is LeBron's knee, right? So, like, are you sure you want to move on to that? Like, are, are Hennessy we is delicious, Hennessy is delicious. Well, obviously, um, Anthony, when it comes to LeBron's knee, as you just mentioned, uh, I'm definitely concerned. Uh, it, it started first uh, in my head. I'm like, okay, he said he's the knee injury. It's also on a back-to-back. Maybe it's, it's not that serious. Then he missed both back-to-backs. I was like, okay, but maybe it's because the games are so close. And then, when obviously, when they flew him back to Los Angeles and he wasn't there for the Hawks game, that's when I knew, okay, well – any kind of conspiracy that it wasn't that serious has gone out the window. It's at least serious enough that he's missed the last three games. We've lost the last three games. We're three games under 500, and and the swelling issue is still there. So I, I definitely have huge concern because, as, as everyone on this call knows, uh, the Lakers haven't had a good season. And the one thing we're – the last, you know, saving grace we have is can the big three get 15, 20 games together – to get some chemistry and kind of show what their potential could be around these vet minimum guys in the roles they were intended to be on. And it's looking deeper and deeper. We're 30 plus games left in the season. It's looking like we're never really going to get that answer this season, which is frustrating. And, and the, I'm just worried that Lakers are going to kind of spiral here. Uh, the schedule is pretty tough, not this week, but the following weeks, they got games against the jazz games against the warriors. The Clippers are a team that's very well coached and, and they're going to be competitive. It, it, it can get ugly this month, and, and that's my biggest concern, his knee and, and the schedule this month. Yeah, I thought – so it was funny. Harrison and I did a pod the day that we found out about the knee. At that time, it was just soreness, right? And, look, anybody, you know, maybe even a couple of years younger than me and up can say that when you reach your, like, mid-30s, you just wake up sometimes and you're sore. Like you can't really even point to this morning. I woke up and my back was really, really sore. And it's just like, yeah, that's, that's what happens when you're 35 years old. Like, that's just what, that's how the shit goes. And, uh, when it went from soreness to talks about swelling without an injury, like it without, you know, with Solomon Hill, for example, when he, when he dove for the ball and, and, and got, LeBron's ankle, or as some Lakers fans might want to paint it at when Solomon Hill dove at LeBron's ankle, um, you know, you could point to that and you could say, yeah, that was a high ankle sprain that happened as a result of that play. When it was soreness, he just woke up, he was a little sore. You say, yeah, that's fine. He just played a game the night before and I can kind of see that. But when we start talking about swelling and getting a guy back to start working on swelling ahead of time, that's when the red flags really went up for me. Aaron, do you have any insight on this that won't get you fired? Hennessy <laughs> uh, is delicious. Um, I think, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, th- I think I think your read on it, do I know more than I can say? Yes, but I think your read on it is um, fair insofar as I think the term swelling is more... If, if there are going to be red flags that are going to be raised, I think 
uh, the, the the terming it swelling as opposed to soreness. I think I think it's fair to have one's antenna raised because of um, of, of swelling. I look. I I uh, well, I'm old, but they, this is this is one of the things that happens, right? You're you're right when you as you get older, uh, even for elite athletes, which I certainly am not. Um, it, one of the things that happens is you wake up with soreness. You wake up with swelling. I, I, uh, ruptured a disc in my back requiring surgery in my sleep. So these are, these are things that that can happen, but yeah, I think it is fair to, to be more concerned and have your antenna raised, um, because it's swelling and, and no longer soreness because soreness feels like, you know, soreness can be kind of like a maintenance thing. Um, as Edmund was talking about with, you know, a lot of games together, back to backs etc as as anybody lebron in this case ages even though lebron is an alien um but yeah i think swelling is more concerning than than soreness yeah that was because if it's if it's swelling um and i you know at some point i'm going to bring jen on the pod again and and we're we'll, we'll kind of talk this through but when a knee swells up when something swells up that that means that there's a reason for the swelling normally you know like something something happened in there that the, the swelling uh, is there to try to help stabilize that area because something, you know, tweaked or something like that. I, I, as far as what I, I know about it, and I'm, not, I'm no doctor. I stayed at a Motel 6 once, but I, I, am, I am no doctor here. But the, the, the swelling aspect of it was what made me nervous. And then now we've reached a point where, you know, they're willing to, to say, yeah, a game that is still – 24 hours away, yeah, LeBron isn't going to be available for that either. Uh, so, and, and may not be available for a few games after that. So if we're at that point right now, and again, there is no injury to look at. There is no injury to identify, no moment where he clearly tweaked it on the floor. Like, there's none of that. It's just that he woke up one day and his knee swelled up. That That's a little concerning, you know. They, I'm not going to go so far as to say, like, clearly it's a non-contact thing because we might have just missed that play, but it, it is kind of concerning that we have we have reached that part there. Aaron, do you think do you think, you know, clearly Anthony Davis getting back is going to help a little bit in dealing with this? And and we did just talk about how Russ is at least finishing better at the rim. Uh, I think the Lakers are still really going to struggle in clutch moments because I just don't trust Russ in the clutch. But do you think the Lakers do you think do you think Russ and AD getting extended looks here without the safety net of LeBron. It's not going to be a good thing, but do you think there's, there's a lesson that they might be able to take away from these next, you know, three, four games, maybe? Let's hope um, because LeBron is the most malleable superstar ever. Maybe the most malleable basketball player ever. So, I am, but I am not one that says LeBron should fit in. However, if there are, right, it, I don't think it was a coincidence the other day that Russ had his best game of the season by far. Um, so if there is anything that can be gained here, if there's any lessons that can be learned, you know, fitting LeBron back into that is not something I'm comfortable with because LeBron is, you know, the sun and everything orbits around LeBron as it should. But, um, if it is something from a confidence standpoint that uh, Russ can be gained, AD I think is separate. I, I think I think it's a Russ question. If there's if there is a a confidence that can be gained from Russ playing well, 
and that kind of mentality can be brought over once LeBron is, is able to come back, then yes, I think. And, and again, right, we've, we've talked about this before with, with Houston um, kind of trading all of their big guys, making sure that there aren't, they're, not, they're playing micro ball and, and Covington is playing center to give Russ that runway that you've talked about and to open the floor up for him to attack. Um, if we are seeing the development of that, and then LeBron comes back and Russ has that confidence and is feeling like Russ of a few years ago or even Russ last year in the second half of the season, then, yeah, hopefully. But I just it, – it is a LeBron team, and it should be a LeBron team. So it feels like kind of like not the move to figure out how LeBron is going to fit back into whatever Russ and AD can develop here. But – if it's a, if it's a mental thing, if it's a mentality thing, then yeah, hopefully a confidence thing. Hopefully that can then translate when LeBron is back. They also well, don't really have an option. Like they, they, like it's not ideal, but it's also right, just like the situation. Right. Yeah. Yes. Here's what it is. Um, I do think that uh, you know this the schedule does does stiffen up a little bit, but I do think the Lakers are going to be able to tread water, however long this lasts for LeBron. Um, it is, it, it's going to be difficult because this is another one. If you, if you're not going to play the center, it's because you don't trust them. Then LeBron was, uh, I mean, he was basically the biggest, most athletic guy on the floor outside of that AD obviously back. So this is going to force the Lakers into more of those micro ball lineups that we saw, uh, especially against Atlanta um, defensively that, that frankly just aren't big enough to, to guard other teams and gave up a bunch of lobs at the rim, et cetera. So I think that could be problematic, but offensively, I think we may be, I think the Lakers are going to be able to tread water without LeBron offensively, at least. Yeah. My concern Edwin is with, with, go ahead. Oh yeah. My concern is with, I, I'm having trouble seeing how without LeBron, Russ and AD, sharing the court and being effective enough offensively, especially we mentioned how much Russ needs space. He needs that floor open. But I think if we put AD more on the wing, which I know he, he's liked in years past, but he's, he's not as effective as he is, you know, playing the five. I just have concern on how do we optimize AD at the five, but also give Russ the space to work inside and be able to ramp up so he can get those kind of dunks like he got on Gobert and attack the basket comfortably. That game that Aaron was talking about, I believe AD missed that that game where he scored 35 against the Hornets. And, and I think a, a, uh, yes. Russ had all the room to do whatever he wanted. And he had that freedom, kind of like Kuzma used to back in the day when he was by himself. Where it's like, oh, no one's around. I can just I can just ball. And we saw uh, the best Russ we've gotten. I just have trouble seeing it. I hope it gets together. But I have trouble seeing just AD and Russ kind of figuring it out throughout uh, maybe Vogel can stagger them I- I'm not sure what the strategy there can be uh for the whole entire game well I mean they have to get on the same page for two-man game like that's gonna that's that's the and honestly like if they this is where the 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 difference between focusing on winning regular season games and building for postseason games comes into play where yeah if if what you're trying to do is just win regular season games then you focus a little bit more on staggering Russ and AD and you try to get Russ in as many small, like absolutely tiny and well-spaced lineups as you possibly can get him in. And you try to just outscore opponents in those stretches and then get stops when you have to with AD out there. But you're still in those situations going to run into clutch issues 
uh, where it's a close game in the last three or so minutes of it. And because AD and Russ have been staggered all game, they don't really know how to how to play together in, in those m- minutes. And we saw that in the Atlanta game too, right, where the Lakers offense just grinded to a halt and then they weren't getting on, stops on the other end. It's not, a, it's not an ideal combination. And I think here for – for during at least this next short little absence here, hopefully short little absence from LeBron, uh, AD and LeBron or AD and Russ can figure out some more productive way of getting in the two man game. Frank needs to surround those two guys with three, like the three best shooters that the Lakers have. Even if it means sometimes, you know, seeing if, if uh, Ellington has anything whatsoever left in the tank, keeping Monk out there for any and all of those minutes, uh, seeing if Reeves can can continue to, to try to space the floor there. Hell, I, Ariza has looked really toasty this season, and I think he's probably done, but he is somebody that when he's out there on the court, defenses at least kind of sort of care about being open. Uh, that's why he pumped, like he wakes up in the morning pump faking, um, simply because like he's used to guys just running at him at the three at the three point line, you need as many of those shooters out there, and you need Russ and AD to get on the same page. Not just you know for those clutch situations to be hopefully get better at those in the regular season, but then also trying to build something so that whenever LeBron gets back, those minutes that LeBron is on the on the bench and Russ and AD are being asked to carry the load out there because it's impossible at that stage to stagger all three of Russ. LeBron and AD, those guys are going to have to get on the same page at some point. So like, if you're looking for some, you know, absolutely tiny silver lining here, maybe it's that these guys without that safety net can start to, to, to work towards that goal. Aaron, do you, what do you think about that concept? The, the idea of building towards a postseason, even if it means some ugly stretches of regular season games in, in the near future. I think it's clunky. Um, oh, because, for sure. We've, we've been watching. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but, I mean, like, conceptually, I think it's kind of clunky because yeah, I'm not sure. I am sure, actually. <laughs> I am sure. What, what can win in the regular season isn't necessarily going to win in, in the postseason. And, frankly, I'm not sure I want what is going to win in the regular season to yeah. be used in the postseason, right? Yeah. Right. I, I just think that once the postseason hits, um, the, the, you know, the innings eater concept of Dennis Schroeder or Trez or even Russ, right. Taking some of the burden off of LeBron, the creation burden off of LeBron conceptually, I think defenses in the playoffs, if, if you go to that, defenses in the playoffs are going to say thank you. Um, and so in the playoffs, I think you're going to want LeBron making all of those decisions um, and having the ball as much as possible. Look, I mean, like nobody's going to, ha- even LeBron, nobody's going to have the ball the entire, well, maybe Luca, but nobody's going to have the ball every possession on offense. Um, but I think, I think, I think only because here, Frank hates Austin Reeves. Like, you know, it's just team politics. Striking I do. Again. I need, I do. I need, I need 75 <laughs> Austin Reeve ball handler pick and rolls. Uh, <laughs> once the playoffs start. 
I need that. I need that. I don't even think. I, I don't even think the grandmama wants that one. Like, <laughs> Grandma Reeves is even sitting there at home. Like, no, Austin can't do that. Just, just move on. <laughs> Hillbilly Kobe Grandma, HBKG, um, the Grandmamba. There you go. I like that. Yeah. The, like the Larry Johnson. Uh, yeah, I like that. Um, yeah. So I think I think, but look, I mean, part of it is also the season has gone how it's gone. Whether you think that's roster construction, whether you think that's coaching, whether you think that's injuries, um, the season has gone how it's gone. So I, it's kind of not available to the Lakers right now to kind of uh, experiment and look for what is going to work three or four months from now. The Lakers have to win games, or else there may not be a postseason. So. I, I think it's I think it's clunky. I think it's uh, and I, I think it is like kind of just as the third quote unquote star and the highest highest paid player. I think it's kind of just on Russ to play better. Um, yeah, because because like all of this stuff, if you figure out some chemistry between um, between Russ and AD that works now, and you want to try to like fold LeBron into that, okay. But in the playoffs. I, I don't know that that's what I want the primary option to be. So I think it's, I think it's clunky and I think it's on kind of on Russ to just play better and be better. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, like, you know, that if you're, if you're trying to create content, Hey, uh, Russ just needs to be better. That's like what, seven words. Um, and it's really hard to generate analysis and podcasts and fill airtime with, Hey, Russ just needs to be better. But a lot of times that simple solution is is really the only one um, at hand. I'm going to welcome in Edwin. I'm going to keep you on, but I'm going to welcome in um, Tamal Paul uh, to to because the next aspect of this conversation here is look. Let's just say LeBron misses the next, we'll say three ish games, and that gives you maybe a few days before the the trade deadline, and you have almost zero. Uh, legitimate data here with Russ, LeBron, and AD, uh, without DeAndre Jordan, without Rajon Rondo, without Dwight Howard, without Kent Bazemore, um, and and the Lakers are going to have to make some of these decisions here. So uh, tomorrow I'll start with you since you're since you're new here. But uh, do you think the Lakers should approach the trade deadline any differently now that LeBron is dealing with another? tweak uh in another injury that that we don't know how long it's going to affect him tomorrow can you hear me all right i'll give the the tomorrow tomorrow brother you're, you're muted yeah tomorrow you got to hit that unmute you, you got to turn on your mic or not aaron do you think do you think aaron that the lakers should approach or will approach the trade deadline any differently now, given this brand new addition to the new cycle? No, um, I don't think the Lakers will. Okay, how about this? I don't think the Lakers should, and the Lakers will not approach it differently. Um, the constraints on what the Lakers offer can be are not changing, right? The, the Lakers, everybody knows what it is. There's a 2027 first round pick um that can be traded um and there's other than the minimum guys and and the max guys right there's there's only two guys on the roster tht who makes nine and a half and and kendrick nunn that 
makes five, that like there's not a lot of moving parts there. It, the offers can be what the offers can be. Um, but no, I don't. I think I think the Lakers should be looking for for help. Um, guys that could theoretically, hopefully, play in a closing lineup. Probably a three four type guy. Um, somebody as as an athlete. Um, I think that's I, that that is what is the Lakers should be looking for and it is what the Lakers are looking for isn't is a deal going to come together I'm not sure um but no I, I don't think this news really changes much of anything um the Lakers are trying to win a title this year we have not seen a lot of the Lakers three best players together and how all of that fits but that's kind of the NBA so no I, I don't think it should and it will not change the trade deadline to answer your question more I actually think I actually think I'd go a step further beyond that I think it becomes even more important that you go out and get especially wing help right because right now heading into the postseason the most capable wing defender uh is probably still LeBron and if you're asking asking him to carry that burden as well as everything that he's going to be doing on offense I think that becomes an even more ridiculous ask this is now you know, two straight seasons that he has missed a, a sizable chunk of the season. Three out of the last four seasons that he has missed sizable chunks of. We don't know how long this, this latest one happens. And again, it's, it's this really ambiguous one that we can't even really find the source for when he tweaked it or whatever. So, like, asking him to continue to carry that kind of load with a continually flawed roster, I think, becomes even more kind of farcical uh, reasoning and, and logic there. I think it becomes but that's, even more important. But that's what LeBron teams are. Um, and a, a step further, that's what teams with three max players are. If, if because it's a salary cap league, if all of your resources or such a large majority of your resources are going to two or in some cases, and in this case, three players, that's what it is. That like, if those guys either aren't good enough or miss time, like, yeah, <laughs> like it's like the cost of doing business. This is what it is on LeBron James teams. If LeBron doesn't play, you lose. So well, sure. But I, I, but I also, but I think though that like, cause I don't think this roster, like my, my, my deepest issue with this roster is always been that I don't think it epitomizes it. It, it optimizes uh, LeBron. Like I, like that was my issue with trading for Russ is that like yeah sure Russ can eat those innings and he's like uh it, it you know he he seems to be theoretically somebody who they hoped uh, Schroeder would be last year but those innings eaters you still need to, them to be able to if they're going to be that kind of huge addition to your roster and that kind of investment that you're going to be making both financially and in terms of the players that you're sending out that player needs to really be able to optimize LeBron. And I've just never thought that Russ would be able to do that. And I think like it becomes even more important. Like I don't think THT is that I don't think THT is somebody who helps you optimize LeBron. So that's why I'm saying. I think it's even more important that the Lakers go out and get somebody who optimizes LeBron further so that like in those, like, cause I've always thought the way that you lighten the burden on LeBron is by making the basketball that he has to go out there and play easier, not by 
hoping to survive the minutes that he's sitting on the bench because in the playoffs, more often than not, he's going to be out there on the court. So you got to try to make the basketball as easy as possible on him there. And I don't think that's what the Lakers did here in this last offseason. So I think, like, I think before he got hurt, that was the goal. And we know that, right? Like, Aaron, you and I have talked about this on the hook. We've covered it at, at length on Silver Screen and Roll and on the pod feed. Like, that is what the Lakers were looking to do anyway. I think it becomes even more important that they do it now because if LeBron is, go- is, is going to be healthy, I think they need to do whatever they can to lighten the burden on him uh, whenever he does get healthy. What do you, what do you think, Edwin? Yeah, no, I, I agree for the most part with that. Um, I do agree with Aaron that uh, that's how LeBron James teams are. And, and that's how any, right? If, if Steph Curry is out for a month, I can promise you what the Warriors are going to look like, and that's not good, right? You can't take someone's top three of any team and, and not see a dip dramatically in, in the team. The, the issue with the Lakers, especially how they've been, you know, working the last couple of years, is there's also no continuity. That's why teams like Denver can tread water better because a lot of those players, same with Utah, same with the Warriors. They have a lot of years together, a lot of experience together, the same system constantly. The Lakers only brought back two players, uh, three players, uh, LeBron, AD, and, and THT, from last year's team. There is no continuity. And then this player misses, that player misses, you know, all the injuries and everything. You mix it all up together. There is no point of reference for a lot of these lineups and a lot of these scenarios. How many times have we seen the Lakers tweet out the starting lineup and it's 0-0 record as starter? We've seen that, like, you know, 30 times already. And that's because of the injuries. That's because these players have been played together. And that's part of the struggle this, this season has had which unfortunately, you know, there hasn't been a lot of, you know, um, continuity throughout uh, night in and night out. And, you know, now with LeBron out and now you, we got a new puzzle with uh, AD and, and Russ and, and this batch of players, it's going to be a challenge. But yes, they need a 3-4, especially if Ariza is as, uh, how do you call it, cooked or, or baking or whatever you described the man. Toasty. Uh, toasty, there you go. If he's going to stay toasty and he can't work himself in, because remember, he, he did have an injury that was pretty serious and he was out for a long mm-hmm. time. Surgery. I'm still... I'm still bare. I'm still hoping just a little bit. Maybe, you know, he'll get a spring in his step in a week or so. But if that doesn't happen, which is probably, you know, more likely than not, then they do need a four because that was the idea with Trevor as well. It was, oh, he's going to play a significant part. They, Frank Vogel even said it, that he was the in- intended starter. He was going to play significant minutes, just like none. And those players have been injured slash not playing well when they have been in uh, Trevor Reese's case. Aaron, did you, did you uh, to the best of your knowledge – did the Lakers ever consider surgically adding a literal spring to Trevor Ariza's foot to give him a spring in his step? Because now that, now that I think about it, that seems like a decent idea. Uh, so behind the scenes, uh, working on some technology. Um, I don't know if, if anybody here has seen iRobot, but um, yeah, <laughs> all, all options are on the table. He needs those Space um, Jam shoes, the ones that, that, that disc that they threw at, at LeBron's feet. That's what they need. Yeah. I, I, I don't know why. The, it, it's tough because a mom and pop organization is trying to, you know, get their hands on the kind of technology that Steve Ballmer and Microsoft has, is, has access to. But you know what? The Lakers will, will try to, to, to push forward um, as I wonder as, if Jerry West has can. access to it. Sorry, right. do we do we want to? Aaron, is there a way for you to talk about this without getting fired? Is there, like, or, uh, or is or is Hennessy just delicious? I mean, Hennessy is delicious, but yeah, um, I know. But, but like, is it this kind of delicious where where you just have to no, sip I off can, to the I'll, side? Uh, no, I'll talk, no, I can talk about it. I mean, 
the 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 relationship between the Lakers and Jerry West, as he said in uh, every time he opens his mouth, is not a great <laughs> one. Uh, it is. It is. It is. Uh, yeah, Jerry West is not well liked um, around the office. I, I that I have no problem saying. Um, they're always right. There's always three sides to whenever this kind of thing happens. There's always three sides to that story. There's, uh, you know, Jerry's side. There's the Laker side, and there's the truth somewhere in the middle. Um, but what I will say is. Um, Jerry tries to paint himself as completely blameless um, and, yeah. and as a as a victim in 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 the relationship being what it is now, and that is not accurate. So I just hope that right. uh, well, one thing I just want to say, and then, then I'll, I'll yeah. let you go. Sorry, Anthony, but I just hope uh, one thing I I hope at least on social media, which you know I'm probably asking for too much, but uh, regardless of what happened, I just wish there was a little bit of I, I see a little bit of you know both sides are just kind of too too rough, right? I see people saying like, oh, you know forget Jerry West. And I'm like, I think we still have the respect, at least from the fan perspective, there's a statue of him. He's one champion. He's still a Lakers icon, even if maybe the relationship kind of like a divorce, like can we just amicably, you know, split and be, but then obviously he's also making these reports. So that kind of makes it hard. But I think there's a middle, middle ground, at least from the fan perspective of, you know, F Jerry West and like, let's respect Jerry and what he did. And maybe like, okay, good luck with the rest of life. I think there's a balance we can have there, but maybe I'm a little too optimistic. Edwin, brother, if you are looking for middle ground and reason and yeah. humanity on social media, I don't know what to tell you, brother. Yeah, probably, probably not. Oh, so here's man. here's here's what I can I've been able to kind of piece together um, in terms of what what how I think things are kind of going with with West and the Lakers and and specifically, you know, his problem is with the the bus siblings. It seems to me, I think he. Always had a fantastic relationship with Dr. Jerry Buss. Uh, the two guys worked together for decades. And, um, you know, I think there was always an amount of respect there. I think the thing you always have to keep in mind with uh, Jerry West, that I think uh, Sam Amick painted a, 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 a very good picture of, was the guy grew up with nothing, man. He was, he was impoverished. And he fought tooth and nail for everything that he had. And he, he and, and Dr. Buss and Magic, and Kobe, and Shaq, and even Phil, and, and you know, all of those guys, uh, Pat Riley, they all fought like hell to build the Lakers into this thing. And, and I think somebody like Jerry West, and I've never spoken to the guy, so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm only saying this by way of kind of relaying the information I have to this point. Uh, I think with Jerry, he... I think he really respects hard workers. You hear him talk about Kobe and he really respects people who have gone out there and created a life or a legacy for themselves. And I think the thing that Jerry was always going to have an issue with was the notion of Jer uh, Dr. Jerry Buss's kids getting access to the Lakers by way of birthright. And I think that's always going to be something that is going to ruffle Jerry's feathers. That said, I don't think he's handled this at well at all. Like, if you have a problem with people, then say it to their face. And 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 coming out with these quotes and handling like this and basically forcing, uh, you know, to Sam's credit because he's a good journalist. He uh, apparently he and the athletic approached Jeannie and asked if she wanted to comment on the situation, and then she passed because I think she is of the mold who 
would rather sit down, go to dinner and try to try to work things out person to person. And, and clearly that's not the way that Jerry wants to handle this. So I, I, I think that's kind of where it's coming from on a human form from, from Jerry uh, West's perspective. And from Jeannie's perspective, you guys got to remember, Jerry West was spending a lot of energy trying to, you know, split her and, and Phil Jackson up when they, the three of them were working together. He was not comfortable with that, with that relationship and the impact that it might have on Phil's standing compared to his own in the organization. That was a, that was a, a, a point of contention for years. And if you're Jeannie and you're messing around with my actual life, in and and uh putting your professional standing above my actual life and my life relationships i'm gonna have a problem with that and so from her perspective that's where she's coming from and again she she chooses to handle things differently than than uh i thought one of the loudest lines in here and i'm kind of scrolling through the story right now one of the loudest lines in here was that there are still things there are things that we know publicly and then there are still things that have not reached the public that are points of contention here. And I think this is one of those things. This is one of the parts of that equation that once you mess with, with, with actual life stuff, you know, marriages, relationships, relationships with parents and with siblings, that's when you really are, are risking ending a relationship between you and that other person. So I think, I think again, Jerry had his issues with the way that the bus siblings came into power. And I think he handled it about as poorly as he possibly could have. And we have reached a point now where no, none of these interested parties are ever going to find that middle ground or, you know, that, that bridge is burnt and pissed on at this point because of the way a things went down in the first place and B how things have been handled since Aaron, do you think that's, Without getting yourself in trouble, is that is that, is that, a, is that like wh- how far how far uh, down the line of of truth do you think I, I sit there? I think I, I think you're on a on a fair path. Um, a couple things though, I don't know if Jerry. Okay, a couple things. Jerry has had Jerry is really 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 good. Uh, as a basketball executive, maybe the best ever. Yes. Him and Pat, I, Riley, I would argue, maybe, I would maybe argue the, best, the ever. best ever. Yeah, maybe yeah. the best ever as far as talent uh, identification. He might be the best yeah. ever. Um, but that's only part of the job. And Jerry, I, I I don't know the inner workings of of his stuff with the Clippers. I think part of it, honestly, was um, an fu to both the Warriors and the Lakers from the Clippers, yeah. but. Yeah. Jerry, so I don't know how well he gets along there, um, but he left the Warriors to go to the Clippers because he didn't get along with anybody. Mark Jackson hated him. Um, And even before the bus siblings taking power, I don't like that stuff, um, when Phil was in, in Chicago. So even separate from that, they had a problem. He didn't like Phil. They And then that continued once Phil got the job. And if that is Jerry's problem, he didn't like that the bus uh, siblings got the team because their dad owned it. And he didn't like that because he came from nothing and worked for everything. Well, 
his son was a Lakers yeah. scout, executive, <laughs> right? So, like, yeah. all right, man, like, easy, easy, that was different. Easy, easy, man. Yeah, right. Easy now. So, I don't know if that yeah. is, but you're right. He did have a good. He did have a good relationship with Doctor Bus. So, and I don't know if that's his problem with, uh, you know. Jeannie and Jesse and Joey and J- like all, I don't know if that is the issue. Um, I know there is an issue and I don't think it's reconcilable at this point, but if, as you're saying, you think that maybe because he worked for everything he's got and the kids got gifted something from their dad. Okay. But like your son was around too, not because, I mean, and he was, Ryan was good. Right. Yeah. But Ryan got the chance because he was your son and you, you brought him in. So I think that, and you might be right, but if that is the case, that's a little disingenuous. And, and For sure. every, every, it doesn't mean you're wrong though. I, at every business, I say this all the time and people think of, but don't think of basketball this way or the NBA this way, but every business is a people business. And Jerry is not good with people. He's damn good at identifying talent. But yeah. he is not good at that, that was gonna be part of it, mm-hmm. and he he rubs people wrong, destroys relationships, makes people angry, is disliked everywhere. Like the the warrior stuff doesn't have anything to do with with Jeannie and Jim and whoever. No, right the 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 Phil stuff when Phil was in Chicago doesn't have anything to do with that's on if if you are disliked all sorts of places at some point it's probably time to say maybe you are the common denominator here <laughs> surely the, the surely the kids have it all wrong right um the, the simpsons mean no i that was the, that was the other addition that i'm glad that you made to this this whole thing here right is that you know in multiple stops he does kind of grade on people and and he has admitted to the fact that he has anxiety issues he has depression issues and, you know, the, it's, it's almost borderline Shakespearean in that, like, those things that, you know, the, the, the undying need to uh, prove his worth, right? It's what makes him as successful an ex- executive and a player that he was. Um, it, it, however, is the thing that makes those stays as short as they have been in some of these spots, right? Where... Where yeah, he's a brilliant, brilliant basketball mind, but basketball isn't real life. Twitter is like it's like somebody who's really good at Twitter. You say like, oh well, they must be the the most charismatic person out there every into every room that they step into, and it's like no, Twitter isn't real life. That's not that's not how that works either. And 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 I think with with Jerry, uh, like you're saying, Aaron, there have been plenty of people at each of his different stops that aren't the bus siblings that have had issues with the way that he does business and the way that he interacts with people. And I, and, 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 you know, at some point you gotta, you gotta look in that mirror. Uh, and, and yeah, the idea of like, man, how dare, how dare these bus kids benefit from nepotism? Oh, Hey, by the way, Aaron, come on in here and, and uh, just sit in on these Lakers meetings and, and, and develop your own relationship for being my son. And here we go. It's like, let's carry forward that way. Um, yeah, and right, there, there's a there's a new a new book that just came out. I think you you've you've promoted it before on a previous podcast, Anthony. On the Three Ring Circus, it's mainly about the Lakers, you yeah. know, the Kobe era. But it does talk about this in the beginning chapters about 
how how he was as a as a GM or his his disdain for Phil Jackson and all that. They they have some good nuggets about these kinds of things in that book. Yeah, it's a uh, Jeff Perlman and uh, his his previous book about about the Showtime Lakers is the one that's being made into an HBO show, which I I can't wait for either. Um, all right, anything else that you guys want to hit on before? We get up out of here. It's been uh, it's been about an hour now, and I got I still have to convert this into a podcast. Aaron, Edwin, anybody, if you guys have any more questions or topics that we want to hit on, I will just I will just say this because we've been because uh, the trade deadline is is coming up, and we talked about it. If I, I and I will say this with confidence, yes, maybe <laughs> maybe it comes from a, a, a place that can be can be questioned. But what I will say. I want all the Laker fans out there that are listening to this to know that if something doesn't happen at the trade deadline, it is not from a lack of trying. That's good to know. I mean, I, I don't think anybody has thought that like the Lakers consider this roster good. Like that's why, that's why we got all the leaks that we got like a couple of weeks ago. Right. It was like the, all the, the, the finger pointing leaks and all of that. That comes from an understanding that the roster is flawed and and that there's still work that needs to be done. And so, you know, it's good to hear that they're following up those leaks with actual work. Um, I I never got the sense that the Lakers would would stand sit tight or or stand idly by as as the Lakers. I, I guess I guess we can finish on this stuff. So, like we 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 talked about whether the Lakers should approach the trade deadline differently, um, and I thought before LeBron got hurt, you might have been able to, you know, really hold on to that 2027 first round pick or, or, you know, really hold on to THT, even for the second tier kind of player, instead of Jeremy Grant or Harrison Barnes, or even Gary Trent Jr. uh, Do you make those assets available for like an Eric Gordon? Um, And, and I think before LeBron got hurt, you could maybe hold on to those things a little bit more, uh, a little bit more tightly. Now, however, with potentially, you know, less margin for, for, for error here, do you, do you, are you more willing to, to trade those pieces there? What, what do you, do you, are you still saying, hey, that 2027 first rounder is, is maybe a crazy valuable asset? Or do you think now you're more willing to do it just because the Lakers might need that much more help? Um, I cannot talk about specific players on other teams. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I meant like the that, assets that the Lakers have um, and the things but I, you but I might think, have. Yeah. I think that is, I think conceptually the trade deadline stays the same. Um, but around like the fringes and margins, you know, what you were close to being willing to do, but not quite willing to do versus now, is there a, a small difference in that? Um, yeah, maybe. Um, but again, I'm yeah. not going to talk about. I'm not going to talk about specific guys. But I, I think, I think, I think what you are, what the point that you are raising is not a an unfair one. How about that? Yeah, I, I, that's before. I like your risk, that, your risk tolerance maybe changes slightly. I guess is yeah. is how I'll put it. Exactly. I, like before, I would have said, "Hey, that that 27 first rounder, potentially being after LeBron." when the Rambi are in full control of the Lakers, like I would really want to hold that onto that thing. Cause that could be a top five pick. Uh, now I'm saying, you know what? Like we're already here. 
LeBron clearly needs a little bit more help here. Let's do whatever you possibly can to go out and get said help. That's that's where I'm kind of sitting. All right. That's going to do it then for this episode of the Silver Screen and Roll Podcast Network live here on Twitter Spaces. Thank you, everybody, who have listened uh, to this point. Thank you, Edwin, for hopping on and, and speaking. Uh, Tamal, if you're still muted, uh, you know, if you're trying to make a call to somebody, you might want to take care of that. Uh, and then for uh, those of you who tuned in late, this is going to be converted into a recorded episode that's going to air on the Silver Screen and Roll Podcast Network. Uh, I'm going to get that up here in the next hour or so. And then uh, later today, the Taco Tuesday guys are going to record their own episode to wrap up today and the new cycle from today. Until tomorrow or until next week, I'm Anthony Irwin saying have a good one.